Well, that, the good thing about having one summer gathering, I only have to watch that once, right? Don't have the, the second service, no. Oh, my goodness. So many of those clips, I was like, how long are those going to go on for? <laughs> um, well, hello. Uh, my name is Tyler. What uh, wasn't, wasn't planned to, to teach on, uh, on, on this Sunday originally. I was supposed to teach earlier uh, in the summer and then came down with COVID and so switched with uh, Rick Tillman. And so this just happened to work out great with um, just the, the summer planning. So I'm excited to, to be here. And really, honestly, there, there really is no other place I'd, I'd rather be than uh, with my faith family. I've been here uh, since first grade. You heard Mark say eighth grade when he came on staff 20 years. So if you're trying to do the math, I'm turning 42 this year. Uh, and I just I love Rolling Hills and, and everything that it's done for my own life and for now my family is, which speaking of the peak, just got back this week, which was an amazing year and first time in 20 some years not going to a camp, but my daughter got to go to camp. So I got to see it through the lens. There's Nora up there. And uh, she got baptized at camp, which is just so cool to see. Uh, and just so proud. And just to see the, 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 the impact of the village that it takes to, to pour into our, our kids, but also into our own lives and the importance of community. And so as we go into Acts today, uh, Pastor Bill kind of started to uh, step on the gas and, and move forward with uh, the storyline and with Acts 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, and 15, right? With Barnabas and Paul. And so we're, we're going to go back into Acts 12 uh, today and focus on there with uh, really focusing on the, the topic of prayer and the power of not just prayer in and of itself, but the power of a praying church and just how we have this, this, this tapped in supernatural power through the Holy Spirit where we can convene and, and communicate with the creator of the universe and how we weren't just created to have personal relationships with us and Jesus Christ, but we were also created uh, to live out that faith and participate in some of these spiritual disciplines communally uh, as, as the expression of the body of Christ as his church. And so if you have uh, your Bibles, I encourage you to, to, to have them and, and open them up. And we're going to be in Acts 12. We'll have them on the screens too. So if uh, you're watching online uh, at home and don't have a Bible uh, accessible, you can follow along here. And so uh, right now we're kind of little, little pickups, some context. We're looking at uh, Peter and James, who two of the three uh, inner workings of the Jesus's like three main disciples, John, Peter, uh, and James. And James was arrested, and uh, Peter is about to be arrested. And we're about to see the role of prayer and how God uh, supernaturally intervenes both when prayers are answered but also how God intervenes and supernaturally sustains us in times of trials and fears and unknowns because I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that has prayed prayers that have not been answered the way I've wanted them to be answered and has caused me to ask questions. And so as we look at the apostles and the church as the, the way of Jesus is exploding on the scene right now in the, in the face of immense persecution, uh, some really neat things are taking place. So let's, let's start here in Acts 12. Uh, verses one through four. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
This was during the days of the unleavened bread, also known as Passover. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intended after, uh, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So just a couple of things here, because if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, there's a lot of King Herods, uh, four in particular, uh, and the one that we're looking at today is none of the previous three. The Herod that we are looking at today, Herod Agrippa, we actually only see him in Acts chapter 12. We see him alive, and then at the end, we're going to see him dead. And so it's going to be a real quick uh, appearance of him, but his reign and terror and evil that he persecuted the church uh, went on for a long time. And it was very fearful because he had the entire power of the Roman government at his disposal. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have the church who had nothing apart from their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I don't say nothing apart from that to diminish that because, oh my goodness, that is all you need and that's what we're gonna see play out. And as we're looking at this and James being crucified right here and being killed by the sword, he was cut in half. And so this was a very gruesome execution uh, of the life of James. And as we, we look here, some, some backstory of Herod here, of Herod Agrippa, he was half Jewish, uh, his mom was Jew, and so he was very, um, very diligent and interested in practicing and honoring the Jewish ways and traditions and the culture. Uh, but at the same time, the Jews did not respect Herod. They saw him really kind of as like as a half-breed at best. And they're like, you're, you're a fraud. You're just trying to do this. And so Herod in his reign really was, had this power struggle with the people that he ruled over. Except when he saw that he arrested James and that he was executed, he found great favor with the Jews. They were like, the people that are threatening our way of, of uh, the Jewish culture, of the way, the way of Jesus and the church that's exploding, uh, thank you, Herod, for doing this. And so he saw this as a, as a massive PR move, essentially. And so he's like, well, if I have James, I might as well go after Peter, because Peter was kind of like the figurehead of the movement of the church at this point. James is not uh, James that wrote the book of, of James or Jesus' brother. This was James, like I said earlier, he was one of the apostles, whose brother John, if you remember back earlier in the series of Mark, there's an interactions with James and his brother John talking to Jesus about uh, wanting to sit at the right-hand side of Jesus in, for eternity. And Jesus says, oh, it's, one, it's not for me to make that decision. Second of all, uh, only those who drink from my cup and endure the suffering that I am going to endure uh, can be a part of this. And they're like, we are willing, not knowing that James and John would become the first and the last apostles uh, to die for the, for the gospel. James executed at the, the hand of Herod. James went on, sorry, uh, not James. James was executed. John went on to be exiled. Uh, and that's who we have the book of Revelation from. And so where God revealed to him while he was exiled on the island, how the end times were gonna play out, how God's grand story, the consummation was gonna be completed. And so when we get now uh, to James and seeing this, you can imagine the church knew that he was arrested, knew that he was in prison, and so they were rallying together to pray for James' safety, to pray for James' release. They have seen miraculous movements and miraculous healings and things that uh, in the face of all impossibilities, uh, God do the miraculous. And so that's what they were praying for, and it didn't happen. 
And so they, they are shattered, they're scared, they're shaken, they're not sure what's happening next, and now Peter has been arrested. And so what they once thought of these people who were untouchable are now being like, targeted by the most powerful person in the Roman government. Um, the only thing they have is their faith. And so as we, we look at this here, the, the question is, right off the gate, is right off the bat, is, well, why didn't God save James? Because imagine if you were part of the church and you were a part of these prayer meetings praying for James, and we're going to see here in a second, so it's kind of letting the cat out of the bag, something miraculous happens in Peter's life. James, this didn't happen. And so they were like, well, do I, do I pray the wrong words? Did I pray the wrong scripture? Did I, was I in the wrong posture? Did I not fast? Was I not holy enough? Like, God, what, what were, were not enough people praying, like popular vote? Like, what, what happened? Why did God not answer this prayer and at the expense of someone who was so influential for the way of Jesus at such a, a, an important time in the history of the church, why did God allow this to happen? And we, we can see these in our lives where times where we pray for things, things that are good for us and not in selfish ways, our health, our safety, jobs, promotions, grades in school, things that we've worked hard, things that were taken from us unfairly, loss of, of life, relationships. And we can sit there, we can ask these questions. And it's so easy for us as humans in our, in our, in our finite view of, of reality to just focus on our present day. And we become blinded to, to all of God's faithfulness and goodness in our past in ways that he has shown up time and time again. But all of a sudden, the one time something doesn't go the way that we want to go, for some people, they're ready just to write off their faith altogether. And others, and why God is writing this out and showing this to us today is that they, the desire is that we would lean into our faith in God. And so here, here's a, a, a statement that I saw that I wanted to share this morning. It says, discouragement from what we believe as unanswered prayers in the past inhibits our ability to pray with boldness for today. So I want you to think about that for a second. Discouragement from what we believe as unanswered prayers in the past it inhibits, it changes, it influences maybe the way we pray today. Can you, can you relate to that? Would you say that that's times? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of head nods. Like it, it does it, and sometimes it's because a whole slew of reasons. But what we're, we're gonna see here today is God's gonna remind us of his faithfulness and his unchanging and his character. And so because God is unchanging, when we look at stories of the heroes of faith, not just in scripture, but in our own lives, in the hardships, in the valley times of our walk, we can cling to what God has done in the past. And even if it might not play out the way we desire it to, we know that God is good, he's faithful, and that's unchanging. And we're gonna see a breakthrough in our life at some point. And if we're not gonna see it on this side of eternity, we know that God is just and he's fair. And we're gonna see how he handles King Herod here later on in this chapter, that it will get handled in eternity as well. And so as I was thinking about this and trying to figure this out, um, the, the story that popped up into my mind was, you know, there, there's a, a lot of stories that pop into the, the, the minds of, of my parents in particular of raising me. And there was one time where uh, my dad and, and my brother and I and the cousins, and I think maybe my mom was there too, I can't remember, but we all went down with the uncles and cousins down to Disneyland. And it was just this fun, surprise thing. I was in elementary school, and they just rolled out the red carpet for, for me and for my brother and all of us. And so, 
you know, churros, the ears, the rides, what do we want to do? This, this, that. And we were there for several days, whatever. Trip's over. We, we packed up for the hotel. We're getting back into the rental car and driving to the airport. And lo and behold, I see the golden arches. I see McDonald's. And I went, Dad, I want a Happy Meal. And my dad said, no, we're not going to do that. We, we got to get to the airport. And not even, didn't even hesitate. I just said, ah, oh, you never do anything for me. <laughs> like, don't you want me to be happy? And for some reason, that story sticks out in his mind. And he reminds me of that story <laughs> from time to time. And, uh, and as a parent who has taken kids on vacations, like, I can relate to that story. Not you, Nora. You've never done it. And we won't... We won't mention our siblings, but, uh, but it's so easy in our, in, our, in our walk with God that we can have all the things in our lives where God has shown up to do things for us, and he has moved unseen and seen on behalf of us, and all these blessings time and time again, and then all of a sudden, in an instant, we forget that, and we just become so self-centered and, 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 and focused and, and selfish, and even though it's coming from a good place sometimes for these hurts and these urgents and the prayers that we're crying out to God for, our response to, to him, sometimes the enemy allows that past discouragement to, to inhibit and deter us from our growing faith in Jesus. I mean, we saw that time and time again with Israel in the Old Testament, right? He showed up and miraculously through the Red Sea, freedom from slavery from Pharaoh, and then they whined and they bickered and they complained to Moses for 40 years in the desert until finally God led him to the promised land. And so they would just remind God's faithfulness that we're good. And then all of a sudden, selfishness would seep in. God, you don't care about me. You don't hear my prayers. You don't answer. Uh, I, I, I can relate to this. But in this moment of grief in the history of the church, this was a hard moment. And so, but they were passionate and they fervently kept praying in the midst of the hardships. And so now we see that, that Peter is about to be, uh, be captured here. And before we move into that real quick, because really prayer has to be rooted in faith. I don't want to skip over that point. Faith, faith is what launches, it's a springboard in how we pray to God, whether it's the, the, the faith of a mustard seed that Jesus talks about, or it is the faith that we are praying um, from a place of just absolute certainty that we know that God is gonna move in a situation uh, in ways uh, that we can't control. That faith is, faith is required, but at the same time, faith does not eliminate our problems. But faith gives us hope and perspective to endure the challenges and hardships that we face in this life. You go through Hebrews 11, don't have time to go in there today, but it's like the hall of fame of all the, the Old Testament heroes of, uh, of the past, and you get to see how on one hand, the writer kind of does this, pro, like the, this contrast where God revealed and moved with Daniel in the lion's den, Moses in the, the Red Sea, and all these things. But then there are also times where they were persecuted and hardships for their faith. And they, 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 they counted the cost and they lost their lives because of the faith. So faith doesn't eliminate our problems, but it becomes the, the springboard in which we can engage in prayer and communication uh, with the eternal God. So Peter... Back to the passage, he's arrested during Passover, during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And according to Jewish law, uh, Herod, remember, he's trying to earn favor of the Jewish people. I mean, he could have, in secret, executed Peter on the spot, but he wanted it, this to be a public thing so that the Jewish people would be excited and continue to uh, respect and honor 
Herod more than he was already by them. And so he was going to wait till after Passover was completed so there was no more risk of losing that standing with them. And so uh, just some, some history. I have an image of here, a reconstruction of the, the Temple Mound we're going to see here. And uh, we have the, the Temple, the Holy Holies, right there in the middle of that, that massive Times Square right there. And then off to the right, you see those four towers in the citadel. We can go to the next image, get a, a closer shot. So this right here that we're looking at, this is called the Antonia Fortress that uh, King Herod built. It was named after uh, Mark Antony back uh, in 35 BC. Uh, it's about 115 feet high in its original form, and at one point had uh, a moat of 165, feet, that's 165 feet, uh, and it could house uh, upwards of five to 600 Roman soldiers at any given time. And so this, this was like the most secure, like modern day maximum security prison. And this is where Peter was arrested and this is where he was being held. And so uh, a lot of things were stacked up against Peter and his current uh, situation. Uh, and so we're gonna, we're, we're gonna get to that and, and come back to that. But here's what happened, the turning point in Acts 12 verse five. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but an earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I mentioned earlier, on one side of the spectrum, we have all the power of the human world, and over here, we have the church. And this wasn't just uh, a, a, a group of churches. This wasn't just First Baptist of Jerusalem down in the corner. This was the church collectively across. Word got out that, that Peter was imprisoned, and so the church was united in their prayers for their leader that God would protect them. We don't know the, the exact words. We don't know if their prayers were bold, like, God, would you release them? Uh, some think that maybe their prayers are more of, God, would you just keep him comfortable? Would you just use this as an opportunity for him to share the gospel with the guards that are guarding him until you take him? They, they didn't know what was gonna happen, and so we don't know how big their prayers were, but regardless, anywhere from a mustard seed up to here, they were fervently praying. The same way they were praying for James, they were praying for Peter, that God would protect them. And so what we see here, though, is Herod, knowing that Peter earlier in Acts 5, he'd been in prison before, and angels have rescued him from prison, where there was an earthquake, the doors flung open, and Peter walks out of jail. And so it's almost kind of like the high priest reminds Herod of this and says, hey, you might want to up security on this guy. And so let's, let's uh, uh, jump into... Uh, chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. It says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries between the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light was shown in the cell. Now before we move forward really quick, so traditionally, you would be shackled with your right hand to, uh, to the prison guard there. And uh, Peter was prisoned both to the left and to the right. And it said there that uh, Herod had four squadrons guarding Peter. And each squadron would have four people. And so he had a total of 16 elite guards on Peter 
literally locked to him, ate with him, slept with him, did had no privacy. The guards were there. Peter went, there's the guards. And on top of that, they would also divide up their shifts. So at any given moment, there were the four guards, two at the doors, the other two shackled to Peter. And they would serve for a quarter of the day. And within that quarter of a day, three hours would be in the morning, three hours would be in the evening. So that way, at any given moment, whoever was guarding Peter were always at like the top of their game. They were sharp, they were awake, they were alert, nothing was gonna happen here. And then on top of that, we still had the other five to 600 guards that were in this uh, fortress. And so it wasn't just the four guarding Peter, it was hundreds of people and this elite group uh, keeping guard on Peter. But the church was praying. So the angel comes and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Now this is the same Peter uh, who has a history of falling asleep at really important times in his life. Uh, he was invited to be up at the, the, Mount, the, the Transfiguration with Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John fell asleep. Uh, the night Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter fell asleep. And here he is the night before he's going to be executed. And he's sleeping. Now, I don't know about you, but if I knew that I was going to be executed and that my former wingman was cut in half, I'm not going to be sleeping very well. And so I wonder the prayers of the church. Paul talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. Peter would talk time and time again. In fact, he wrote in one of his letters in 1 Peter about casting your cares at the foot of the cross and living in the peace and the presence of your Savior. Peter had no certainty that he was going to be rescued. But I wondered if in that moment he had so much trust in Jesus that regardless if God rescued and answered the prayers, that I'm sure that those are the prayers Peter was praying or if he was going to have the result end that James had to God be the glory. And he was not gonna turn his back on Jesus. So it continues on, this angel shows up, the chains fall off his hands. The, the, the Greek word for, for that literally means fall off. It doesn't say that like Peter touched it or the angel touched it, like these, these shackles fall off. And the angel had to say to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And this was after he already had to like hit Peter on the side of the head to wake him up and and it's like, Peter's like just in this phase. We don't know if the guards are asleep. We don't know if they're awake and they're just like phased over, if this is all like happening and they're like invisible. Scripture doesn't say, but something supernatural is happening here in this very moment. So Peter gets up, sounds like he wasn't decent. The angel's like reminding him, hey, wrap your cloak around you too, follow me. Uh, come on, step by step, I'm gonna walk you through this. And they went out and he followed him and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. So something miraculously just took place. And it was really a threefold miracle we saw. One, the shackles came off. Two, they were led out, not just the first gate, but this big final gate that opened up automatically. This was one of those big, massive iron gates that was like 
one of like the defensive mechanisms from allowing like attacks upon uh, the fortress. And the fact that this thing just opened up automatically and they just strolled out, sight unseen to the soldiers. Uh, God, God's hand was yet again doing something and Peter's just going along with this, not even sure if this is real. And it isn't until the angel left that all of a sudden he becomes lucid and has this aha moment talking to himself out on the street like, oh my goodness, God just did this. I must go and tell the church what has transpired. But I want to I want I want to go back here. There was a, another uh, quote that I read in a, in a book that I wanted to share. So if we can go back one slide, uh, T. W. Hunt in his book Prayer Life uh, said this. Uh, sorry, go back a couple more slides. It's a if we exam yeah if we examine the expansion of the church. In the book of Acts and the epistles, we see convincing proof of the power of prayer. The early church had innumerable obstacles. Christianity was unknown and it was opposed by the authorities wherever it spread. It suffered constantly from false accusations and rumors. But by the end of the first century, it had spread in exactly the geographic pattern commissioned by Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This rapid geographical and ideological shift could have been accomplished by only supernatural focuses. Sorry, forces. The instrument of the expansion was the church, and the force the church was using was prayer. I love, I love that last part. The instrument of the expansion was the church. That's God's plan all along for people to come to know Jesus, is the church, the global church. And here's why that is important. It doesn't say the pastors of the church. It doesn't say the rabbis of the tabernacle. It doesn't say the, the religious officials. It says the church. That's all of us. You are part of the instrument that God is using to advance the kingdom of reconciliation, restoration, and hope into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. That is something that each of us gets to carry that mission. Well, how do we do that? Well, the force isn't our own physical doing. It isn't our own strength, our own talents, because we could quickly just fall into the traps of our insecurities, right? And quickly like, well, they're better at that because X, Y, Z, and I'll just stay over here. No, it says prayer. Prayer is how we do it. We are the instrument. Prayer is the force that drives us. And so how are we using prayer to drive us to accomplish the mission today? So Peter's being rescued. He's out. He's in public. And he's now en route back to the church. But even during his pseudo-vision, he was being obedient to the angel. He was uh, acting on it if it was true. And again, Peter, although he slept through a lot of things in his life, he has acted on a lot of miraculous things in his life too. Jesus calling him out of the, the boat to walk on the water. And here he is calling him to act out on this and follow you against 600 soldiers, and you're going to walk out of here unharmed. You know, culture today tells us to take it easy, but Christianity is telling us to take a chance. We'll never experience what God intends for us to enjoy until we follow what he lays on our hearts by stepping out in faith. So let's go back to Acts 12, 12 through 19. 
So now when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, John Mark, who wrote the, the book of Mark, uh, who was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rada came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but instead ran back into the house to report that Peter was standing at the gate. So Peter is out there frantically knowing that at any given notice, his absence is going to be noticed and the full weight of the Roman battalions can be called upon them. And Mary's house was a, was a common place for the church to be meeting for prayer. Um, people think that that's where Jesus had the Last Supper. Was that there? This was also early in Pentecost where the 120 met for prayer, believed that this was here in Mary's house. And so uh, it, was, it was on the radar of, of, of officials. And so Peter's out there, you know, I don't, I don't think he's out there just thinking, you know, like, like whispering, like, it's me, let me in. Like he's, he's banging on the door, let me in. And, and only Rada hears this. And back then there was like this, uh, probably a, a vestibule or a hallway of sorts uh, between like the wooden door and the house. And even more important for, for Mary's house with the church under persecution, they, they took every security measure into place to make sure that they were safe. And so Rada comes out, doesn't open the door. She just hears Peter's voice, runs back in, interrupts the prayer time as we're about to see and watch how this is responded. In her joy, she did not open. She runs in, uh, leaving Peter standing at the gate. The church says to her, you are out of your mind. Also, the, the, the Greek is that lunatic, insane, displaced. Uh, they're like, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, no, it's his angel. Now, like, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Were angels just that common back then that you just saw them walking down the street? No, in, in, in tradition back then, some believed that um, when you died, that you would see the guardian angel of that person. And so they thought that maybe, maybe Peter, he had the same fate as James. And so that, that's his guardian angel. And so their, their prayers are praying, and now they're, they're resigned to the fact that Peter's possibly gone. And Rodage continues going on after that angel, but Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened, they saw that it was him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hands to be silent. Because you can just imagine the flood of the church running to the door. It's Peter, you know? And like the last thing, Peter, he's still on the street, you know, and he's just like, mm, no, 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 no. You know, like, we're not, I'm not here. Let's not acknowledge it. Let me come in and I'm going to tell you what happened. So motioning with his hands, he, he brings it down. He goes in. They were amazed. And he said, tell these things to James. Now this James this is the brother of Jesus, who is now the leader of the Jerusalem church. He says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. And now when the day came that there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then Herod went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and spent time there where Herod lived. And so we, we, we see some comical things here happen, but yet some miraculous things take place here as well. And as we, we, we look at Peter and the, and the church and the power of prayer, the, the, the thing that, that, that stuck out to me with all of this is that the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was the church's prayer that fetched the angel. I, I believe that. I believe that, that God allowed this miraculous thing that, that they heard the prayers and they were so united 
and for this church that for whatever reason, God was like, I'm not done with this particular instrument of my church. And so Peter, we are gonna do this miraculously and it's gonna be known. And because of this, more growth is gonna take place. And so we, we, we look at this and just really quick because some really other important things happened before uh, we talk about just some closing thoughts here on prayer. Uh, essentially, Herod goes off to Caesarea. He's down there. And uh, it actually says, if you have your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen in 23. Um, he goes down there and he just continues to become the most egotistical, prideful guy. And we know what pride does in the presence of God. It says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod down, and because he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So, if you walked in this morning and you are an arrogant, egotistical person, you have been warned. No, uh, it says, yeah, but the next sentence, the word of God increased and multiplied. The kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, continued to grow and multiply and go forward. So here's just a couple of things. Peter goes on to write his letter in 1 Peter 3.12. I have this, this verse about this taking hope and praying boldly. We'll have it appear on the screens. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And what I like about this verse, if we break it down to context of what we just watched here uh, take place, let's go to the first one here. It says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. That's why Peter had peace. That's why Peter was able to, the, the night before his execution, he was able to sleep. The next verse, it continues on there and says, the ears of the Lord are open to prayer. It's why the church could pray with confidence and with boldness and specific prayers. I know sometimes I'm guilty that my prayer life could be limited to praying for food and praying with my kids at night that they have good dreams. And it is this untapped supernatural power that connects me to my creator. And so this is what the ears of the Lord are open to our prayers. And then the last one, so that the face of the Lord is against evil. That's why Herod was put to death. He was about to perish. God is about justice. It rains down on the righteous and the unrighteous. And there are times in our lives, in our own selfishness, <clears throat> in our impatience, that we want to be the judge, the sheriff, the executioner, right? We want to do all that. Like, God, we'll take care of this for you. We're good to go. And God's like, my timing. Trust me, it doesn't make sense in your economy and in your timeline, but in my wavelength, for all of eternity, this is how I maximize the glory of God. So we go to prayer with expectation. It's a gift that we offer the Lord in response to the gift of prayer. It's a blend of confident trust and sanctified imagination. I loved when I, when I read that quote, that expectation is a blend of confident trust and sanctified imagination. That means that we can pray for anything and everything. Not that God is our genie in a lamp type prayers, but for those mountains in front of us that we feel are just impossible. Maybe we have one arm shackled, maybe we have both arms shackled. 
Maybe you feel like you're running out of the prison and the 500 guards were not blinded and it's you against the world. Pray with expectation. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. We know that the Lord answers all prayers, that he grants some, he refuses some, and we also know that waiting is an answer. But we also know that sometimes that's a hard one. <clears throat> we understand it up here, but when we're living out those situations in our lives, it's hard for us. So that's why God says, come to me. Cast your cares. I am bigger than your hurts. I am bigger than your problems. I am bigger than your crisis. Rather than coming to me and asking me to eject you out of crisis, invite me in. The psalm said, and though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, your, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. It doesn't pull them out and put them back on top. He guides us through, and that's a promise that he does for us. So our prayers must be constant, not casual. We don't take it lightly. We don't get up in the morning and be vague in our prayers. Be specific. Don't just get up and be like, God, may your will be done today. Ah, I pray today. It's a good prayer. Yes, it's a great prayer. God, let your will be done today. But what are specifically things that you are praying for in your life, in the lives of loved ones, in the lives of your enemies, and in the lives of strangers? And then part of prayer, and I would say maybe the most important part of prayer is the listening. I think so often we pick up the phone, amen. God wants us to listen. And sometimes it's silence. Sometimes God allows other thoughts and memories into our, 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 our past and start percolating our thoughts that helps us start to kind of connect the dots of where he's leading us. But when's the last time you practice solitude in prayer? Maybe that's why Peter had so much peace. Had a lot of solitude in that prison. Time to listen and pray to God. But we can also be excited because prayer is what drives us. It is the fuel for that instrument. And so I wanna, I wanna, I wanna end with just a couple challenges here, but before I do that, there's a prayer uh, in Second Chronicles that maybe you've heard before, 7 verse 14. And while this is very specific, the context to what was happening in this time and place in history, it applies for us today uh, in verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Most of us aren't farmers. Back then, they were praying against locusts and plagues, things like that. But what is the landscape of our lives today? What, what are the prayers that we want to pray, but maybe we lack faith? Because of past prayers, that have gone unanswered, as I talked about earlier, that quote, it diminished our ability to have that expectation, the blend of sanctified imagination and that confidence of hope from Hebrews 11, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and ask God for anything and everything and listen. 
And so one of the things that we are doing this month as a faith family is we have this benediction prayer. And if you haven't picked this up yet, if you weren't here last week, if you're visiting for the first time today, if you're online, you can go to rollinghills.org slash prayer. We have it there, but we have hard copies out uh, in the back. And as we, we, we wrap up today, I want to end with us standing together as a church because Jesus in the New Testament, there was a scene in the temples where he walked in and he saw that all the people were selling the offerings, right? This is the, the, the famous scene. Jesus goes in and he flips the table. We see that human righteous anger like, oh, this guy is human. Yes, I can rage. I relate to Jesus this way. And he says, you've turned this house of, of prayer into a den of thieves. The church is supposed to be a place of communal prayer where we pray for each other. And so this morning, we're going to do two things. First thing we're going to do is we're, we're going to pray this benediction prayer together. And we're not just going to pray it aimlessly, but we're going to pray it with the conviction of faith that, yes, I believe the words that I'm saying to the God of the universe who created me and knows me and loves me and believes and is for me. And if you're here this morning for the very first time, or maybe you're just in one of those valleys in your faith and this is like, man, I'm ready for these, these mountains to be moved in my life so that I can flourish and grow in my walk with Jesus. I, I need prayer for that. Um, we, we, we brought back uh, in your seat back pockets, we, we have our prayer request cards. Uh, they've been gone for the last couple of years for just a lot of reasons, health stuff, and then just trying to get things back. And so uh, we got these back this week. And so what, what we're going to do is we're going to pray this together. And then during this next song, it's a new song. If you know it, you're invited to sing along and, and worship together with the team. But if not, I, I invite you to take that card out in front of you. Uh, because every week, our staff prays for you guys by name with these cards that come in, electronically, mail, and now these. So I warned the staff at the staff meeting this week, you guys, I didn't tell you I was doing this, but you know, we might have five, six, seven hundred prayer cards coming in this week that you're going to be following up with and, and telling people that you're praying for today. But you know what? A powerful church is a praying church. And we're called to be a house of prayer. So whatever is going on in your life that you want prayer for, or you want just praise God because you've seen mountains move. We want to praise God with you. And so take advantage for that today. Normally we would pass these around in the offering baskets, but since we do our offering earlier in the service, when you leave today uh, in the back of the, the, the worship center here in the middle, but also on the sides there when you walk out on the walls, you have offering boxes, just drop these in. And someone from our staff and the elder team are going to be praying for you this week. And you might even get a text or an email or a phone call from them too. So um, take advantage of this. This is, this is a way that we can be united as the body of Christ and pray alongside and link arms so that we can carry out the mission. So when we feel weary, we can be lifted up by our brothers and sisters. And when we're celebrating the goodness of God in our life, we can amen with you. So we're gonna have the words up on the screen and we're gonna pray this prayer together as our response to wrap up and conclude our time together this morning. Dear Father, you have created me. Sorry, we're going to do this together communally. I don't want you joining in by the last sentence. We're going we're to do this together. Here we go. Dear Father, you have created me for your glory. 
I'm not what I have, what I do, or what people say. But God, I am your child, and no one can take that away. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less or more. Jesus settled the score so I don't have to hurry or worry. I am known, loved, and forgiven. Heavenly Father, I rest in your love while courageously extending kindness to others. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. We thank you that our identity and our security is found in you. We're so thankful that we can come to you with our needs. And what is so miraculous about that is before the prayers even leave our hearts and our mouths and our thoughts to you, you already know. And you promise to not only hear our prayers, but to respond. And so Lord, I know there are things going on in this room and in this building today that we are just unaware of that you are moving forward and taking ground in, in our lives collectively as a faith family and in our lives individually. Uh, Jesus, I pray that we would be your instrument and that we would not forget prayer. The prayer would just become part of the spiritual DNA of how we live our lives day in and day out. That we wouldn't be caught up in our insecurities of how or what to pray, but Lord, we would just take bold steps of faith and we would see you move. Because Lord, you're not calling for us to be great, but you're calling for people to move in bold ways so that your greatness can be on display. So as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We want to imi be imitators of the early church. And may we be men and women, boys and girls of prayer, rooted in faith. Certain of the unseen and expectant of a glorious future that you are leading us into. And so, Lord, now as we, we respond in worship, if there are things in our hearts that we want to ask our faith family to be praying for, would we just take this moment as an extension of worship and write out our prayers, knowing that we are being lifted up day in and day out, that we are not alone, that we have a family, and not just a family at Rolling Hills, but the, the, the global church. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in your name, amen.